Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wicc.in. Hello, WICC Church. Welcome again to this wonderful Sunday morning. This is the day the Lord has made. And so there is every reason for us to rejoice and to be glad in it. Today, I really believe God is going to minister a powerful word to the whole church. And so I want you to open your heart and receive this word with all anticipation and expectation. Imagine if you had one shot to ask Jesus one question. And that one question was going to affect everything about your eternity. Now that you're born again, a child of God, if that one question you're going to ask is going to affect everything about your eternity, what would that be? You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they got together and they had a question for Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew's Gospel, turn with me if you may, Matthew's Gospel chapter 22 and verse 37 to 40. The Bible says, that the Pharisees, they asked Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the Torah? Which is the greatest commandment of the Old Testament law? They wanted to know of all the, because they were so high on commandments and high on, you know, doing it correctly and religiously right and all that. Which is the greatest commandment of all? And he said to them and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine Jesus is telling you, you have one shot at life and you want to ask a question. And and imagine if you would ask a question, and suppose it was this, what is the greatest, the one thing, Lord, in life I must focus on? That is actually going to affect my entire eternity. What would that be? And Jesus would look at you and say, the one thing that you need to give your entire focus to, your entire moments, your entire days, your entire life, your entire years, everything would be love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And if that is not how you are living your life today, then you are in need for a great and mighty revival. Today I want to speak about this topic that we have begun on, the heart of revival. I want to speak about revivals from the New Testament. To look at this portion of scripture, Matthew's Gospel 22, where Jesus is asked in the New Testament, tell us what is the greatest commandment. He said two things, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and then love your neighbor as yourself. He says, in this is contained everything, everything you could ever think of, everything you could ever ask of. That if you were to ask, how is this going to, how is my future, my eternity after I die and then when I live on with God, what is it going to look like? And God says it's going to depend on these two things, loving God and loving man. So let's go back to the Old Testament. Where was this first originally seen? We see it in the life of Moses and the people of Israel. In the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 5, the Bible says that God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And after giving the Ten Commandments to him, uh, he goes and shares the Ten Commandments with the people of Israel. 
And the people of Israel, they say that, hey, this is too much for us. We don't, we are afraid to hear the voice of God. You know, the mountains trembled. There was fire. We heard the voice of God from the fire. And we just amazed that we heard that voice and we're still alive. And so therefore, please do not, uh, you know, don't uh, let us listen to his voice again. You go, you ask God and you tell us what God has to say. And if you could do that for us, that would be great. And anything you say, you know, we're good with that. We will love to just follow whatever you're saying. So the Lord tells Moses, I've heard that. And so tell the people, go back to the camp. Moses, you come. I need to talk with you and let me teach you my commandments, my judgments and my statutes. This is the background of Deuteronomy 5. And then into Deuteronomy 6, God begins to speak to Moses. And God begins to tell him, these are the judgments I want to give you. And after hearing all the things that God told Moses, Moses comes back to Israel and says, now let me teach you what God has said. This is the setting. After the Ten Commandments, now he's going to teach Israel the heart of everything in the Old Testament. And he tells Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love Adonai, your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. These words which I'm commanding you today are to be on your heart. Love Adonai, love your master, love God, our master with all our heart, with everything. And he says with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything you can think of to know, Lord, if there is a thought in my mind, am I loving God with that? If there is a strength in my body, am I loving God with that? If I'm, if there is a place in my heart that has got a, got, got a place where I can uh, fill up with God, am I doing that? Am I filling every part of my heart with a love for God? And then Moses says, these words which I'm commanding you today is not a suggestion, was not an opinion. He says, this is a commandment from God. These words I'm commanding you today are to be on your heart. So this was the heart of the Old Testament. That had to be on their heart. Then he says, teach them diligently to your children. Speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign of their heart and they are to be the frontals of your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, when the people of Israel heard this, the Pharisees began to teach it. They told the people, you got to, you know, write the Ten Commandments, put it in a paper, hang it on a, as a frontal on your head, maybe on your, fall, on your ha- hand, put it as a talisman on your door. What God had intended to be in their heart, they made it into material and left it on the doorposts. It became religion from a place of relationship. It became a a ritual, like many Christians today go to church on Sunday. It became a a ritual rather than a than a relationship. It became a somehow wash up and get up there and, and somehow get to that place rather than that early moments of genuine revival that happened in our life when we would wake up and we would be weeping in the presence of God because we had encountered such a great salvation. And from there it came to a place of religion. Israel, the same thing happened for them. What had started in a wonderful deliverance from Egypt had now ended up in just an ordinary religion. And so God was telling them, I want this to be on your heart. But they had reduced it to tying it on their foreheads, on their hands, on the doorposts. But what was the heart of the scripture? You know what God was saying? God was saying, if there's one thing I want to tell you. He's saying, I want you to love God with all your heart. And then he says, I want you to tell this to your children. 
that your children must diligently do this and that they speak of it when you sit down and walk on the way and you lie down and you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your heart and on me. So what is he saying? So when people, when, you know, put it on your heart and then he says, put it on your, on your wristband. Put what? Not the whole Ten Commandments or, or the law written down on a paper and scrolled in and put there. He's saying, write it on your wrist. What? Write what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he says, write it on your forehead. Why? Put it up there so that when someone will see on your forehead, they will remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. Then he says, when you, when, on your house, on your doorpost, put it on your doorpost so that when somebody sees it, they will be reminded. What? As they enter your house, they'll be reminded, love the Lord your God with all your heart. When you walk into your house, and then there's a gate at the entrance, and as you're walking in, and you see this written on that gate, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And this was the heart of revival that God had intended. And God tells them, when I bless you, and when you go into the promised land, you know, things are going to happen. You walk in the fear of the Lord so that you will prolong your days, you'll be blessed, it'll go well with you. It was all about them. If you walk with the Lord, then you will prolong your days, you will be blessed, you will increase, you will possess the land, and you will walk in the fear. All the nations will be afraid of you. It was all about them. And God says, but just be careful not to forget the Lord, because if you do forget the Lord, when you get blessed in every way, God says the enemies will carry you away to the nations. Now, this was the Old Testament background behind Matthew 22. When Jesus now, they ask him a question. Tell me, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest is this. Love the Lord with all your heart. Write it on your heart. Love the Lord with all your heart. Write it on your forehead with a talisman. Love the Lord with all your heart. Jesus said, write it on your wristband. Love the Lord with all your heart. So that everywhere you look, every time you do something, when you look at your doorposts, you will be reminded, hey, love the Lord with all your heart so that it will go well with you. You will prosper in the land. No harm of the enemy will come upon you. What a mighty, mighty, mighty truth. Then Jesus goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a very interesting portion of scripture. Love your the neighbor as yourself, that you would learn to not be concerned just about yourself, that you would be concerned about people out there in the world. So what is God saying? God is saying there is a revival that needs to happen in our heart. And this was what the kingdom of God was all about, that God wanted to bring a revival. Soon after Jesus answers this in Matthew 22, he turns around and now asks the Pharisees a question. And Jesus asks the question in verse 41 and 43. He says, now Pharisees were gathering and Jesus asked him, hey, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? David's, they said. He said, and then how is it that David by the Spirit calls him Lord? He says, how is it that David by the Holy Spirit calls the son of David Lord? Jesus suddenly was beginning to shift the entire focus of if you walk with God, you will get blessed to a place he's saying now the son of man has come. A new era is coming where it's not about you anymore. Yes, it is about you, but he's come to seek and save the lost. This was the beginning of a New Testament revival, a shift from Jesus just being a rabbi and a teacher to Jesus being the Savior of the whole world and becoming Lord. To understand revival in the New Testament, 
This is the heart of revival. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And if you are not there, then you and I, we are in a place of revival if we are not there at that point of life. Why don't you turn your Bibles with me to this wonderful portions of scripture of revival in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Let's first read together from the scriptures. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 to 47. The Bible says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children. And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, and to the fellowship, and to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together and with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those that were being saved. What a, what an amazing revival. What an amazing revival. Here are the 120 worshiping God in the spirit for many days. And some Jews were there in the land passing by, heard them speaking in tongues and thought they were crazy. And Peter stood up and began to preach the gospel. 3,000 turned to God that day. This is revival in the New Testament. This is, this is church in the New Testament. This is a, a genuine, wonderful moment of a heart being turned to God. And I really believe God wants you and me to really know what is revival in the New Testament. Loving the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at another portion of scripture to see what would revival really look like. It's, it's in Acts chapter 19. And the Bible says in verse 11 onwards, I want to, I want you to look at verse 11 onwards. For God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists went from place to place attempting to name over those that had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. You see, here is a portion of scripture where revival is beginning and many others are joining in, in that revival and they also want to do the mighty things the apostles were doing. And the Bible says that in verse 18 onwards, many also of those that had believed kept coming, confessing, disclosing their practices. And many of those that practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. They counted up the price of that and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. 
You see, here is a revival that is unfolding. Paul was preaching in Ephesus. And a revival is unfolding over there. People start turning to God. Mighty signs, miracles, wonders are happening. And even unbelievers seeing this power of the, that was upon the apostles, they were telling in their heart, if these apostles carry this power, this God must be real. Witch doctors, magicians would bring their books and they would burn all these things and say, we don't want to do all these things again. There were some phenomenal signs that were happening in this time of revival. And so I want you to look at this portion of scripture because these signs were very powerful. They were very paramount. What were these signs? There were three major signs, I believe, if there is a genuine New Testament revival. And we see these signs in the book of Acts chapter 2 and in Acts in chapter 19 in these two revivals. One was the Jerusalem revival where 3,000 were added to the church. And one was the Ephesian revival in Acts 19 where so many had turned to God in Ephesians. What were, what was, what, what are three major signs of the New Testament revival? Yes, it boils down to loving God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. And it boils down to loving your neighbor as yourself. But there are three signs that I want to bring about from these two portions of scripture. Firstly, one sign of genuine revival, New Testament, bonafide revival, is that there will be genuine salvations. There will be genuine salvations. But many people get the, this portion of salvation wrong. What is genuine salvation? There are four parts to a genuine salvation. And if these four parts are not part of your genuine salvation, I want you to know that maybe you really need to encounter salvation in a very genuine way. The first part of your genuine salvation is repentance. Every person that has had a genuine salvation, there has to be a deep repentance from their heart. A deep repentance from their heart. Now the Bible says in this portion, Acts chapter 2, you see, verse 37, 38. The Bible says the people were cut to their heart. Something happened to their heart. It wasn't about a gospel that was taking them to heaven. It was about how they had broken the heart of God. And that there was a genuine repentance. They were cut to their heart. And Peter said, fellow brethren, what shall we do? Peter answered and said, repent and let each of you be immersed in the name of Jesus for the removal of your sin. So one of the first signs of a genuine salvation is repentance. Any salvation without repentance is truly not salvation at all. A second sign of a genuine salvation would be confession. We see the Bible says after repenting, the Bible says they, they confessed their sin. The Bible says in Acts 19, you see in the Ephesian revival that verse 18 to 20, we see many of those who had believed came confessing and recounting their sinful practices. Which means when a genuine salvation happens, you know, it, there is something about the life we used to live that we begin to hate from now on. And we begin to say, we begin to confess our sins. We're not trying to hide our sin. We're trying to confess and say, you know what, Lord, I lived like this and, and I lived a wicked life and I really want to change the way I lived. There's a confession of our sin. The Bible says, confess your sin one to another. It was part of this genuine Ephesian revival. Verse 19 says like this in Acts 29, verse 19 says, And many of those that practiced magic arts 
they brought their books together in a heap and burned them before everybody. They brought it out in front of people that they were saying, you know, I'm not afraid to confess my sin. If I was living a wicked life, I want to say no more. I want to confess it and bring it out. They brought it out and they totaled the value. It was about 50,000 pieces of silver. That's amazing. This genuine repentance cost them 50,000 pieces of silver. And I'm sure that was a lot for every one of them. So if there's a genuine repentance, a genuine salvation, there'll be repentance, there'll be confession. Then there will be genuinely receiving Christ, not just as our ticket to heaven, Christ as our Savior from our sin. There will be a genuine receiving of Christ as Savior. Peter told them, repent from your sin and, you know, receive the Messiah into your heart. Ask Jesus that he would remove your sins away from you. They knew that righteousness from the law was not going to wash their sin anymore. They knew that their wicked lives was not going to be washed away unless they asked Jesus to come into your heart as Savior. Have you asked Jesus to come into your heart as your Savior? Have you repented from your sin? Have you confessed your sin and asked Jesus to come into your heart as your Savior? He is the only name in heaven and earth by which a man can be saved. There is no other name except the name of Jesus. Today, if you're listening to me, and if you're not sure of your salvation, I want to challenge you. Will you ask Jesus to come in your heart today as your Lord and Savior? And you will be born again. Isn't that awesome? I would rejoice with you and all the, every believer, every child of God will rejoice with you today if you would genuinely repent, confess, and ask Jesus to come in your heart as your Savior. What a joyful, amazing day that will be. And then there's the fourth mark of a genuine salvation. Not only your repentance, not only your confession, not only asking Jesus to be your Savior, but if you're truly saved, the fourth mark would be you would ask Jesus to be your Lord. Which means you would say, Jesus, I don't want you to just take me to heaven. From today onwards, I want you to be my Lord. The Bible says that the word of the Lord was growing in power and prevailing. What a mighty scripture in Acts 29 and verse 20. The Bible says, after they burnt all their witchcraft items, after they turned away from their ways, after it cost them 50,000 you know, pieces of silver of material to be burnt, the Bible says that the word of the Lord began to grow in their heart. You know, the word of the Lord. Jesus was Adonai, was master. The word of the master. That the fourth sign of a genuine salvation, that Jesus would become your master. He would have absolute rulership in every area of your life. So, if you really are looking for a genuine revival, this is the first sign of a genuine revival. This is the first sign of a bona fide New Testament revival. The second mark of a bona fide New Testament revival would be covenant relationships. Genuine covenant relationships with God and with man. With God, there would be a genuine covenant relationship and God would bring about in your heart an identity that you are a son of God. That you'll no longer be afraid as a slave. That you will be thinking in your heart, I'm the son of God. First John chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you that you should be called the sons of God. You know, if you are born again, there's going to be a genuine born again experience. And that born again experience will 
you will no longer be telling, oh, I'm a terrible sinner, I'm a terrible sinner. Yes, you will remember how you lived in sin, but you will say from today onwards, I'm the son of God. What an exciting life that you can be the son of God. Not only would you be a son of God, because if your relationship with God, the covenant relationship with God sets right, then you would not only have a genuine identity restored, you would begin to live a spiritual life. This spiritual life, the Bible says in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, Acts 2, 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with new tongues. If you are born again today, or if you have been a born again Christian, and you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, eagerly desire the Holy Spirit today, and I want to tell you, Jesus will pour out His Spirit upon you. Oh, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can speak in new tongues. What a joyful life that will be. That will be a bona fide New Testament revival. I'm telling you, this is not about any denomination. This is not about any church. This is about you and God. It's about revival. It's about a New Testament revival. And how God wants to fill you with a New Testament revival. That you will begin to speak in new tongues and you will be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Acts 4, 8, And Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke to the leaders. The Bible says in Acts 5, 18, he says, And do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. What a restored relationship with God. If you are in a covenant relationship with God, that's the second sign of a New Testament revival, that you will have a restored relationship with God and man, that you'll be in a covenant relationship with God and man, that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit once you understand your identity as a son. The third thing that God does in relationships, in your relationship with God, You'll not only look to him and say, you'll say, Lord, I want to be a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that no longer am I just going to say, Jesus is my you know, savior. You're going to say that from today onwards, Lord, I'm going to stick close by you. A bonafide, genuine New Testament revival, the Bible says, disciples are born. Disciples are are made. The Bible, Jesus tells, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Matthew's Gospel 28 verse 19. Go into every nation and make disciples. Disciples of the heart of God. What does God want with your heart? He wants your heart to have, 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 be committed to discipleship. That with this discipleship, your life will be transformed. That's why Acts 6, 7 says, And the gospel kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase in Jerusalem. I want you to be a disciple today. I want you to increase in everything that you're doing, so that God can use you mightily in such a powerful way. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you following Him closely? Are you living like a disciple of Jesus? If not, today is your day. Make that decision. You want to have a genuine, bona fide, New Testament revival. Make that decision to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, if you're restored relationship with God, in a covenant relationship with God, you'll not only be a disciple that is being filled with the Spirit, and living that life as a child of God, you will walk the rest of your days in the fear of the Lord. What a mighty thing to live in the fear of God. You'd say, God, everything I live for, I want to live for you. The fear of the Lord began to grow in the church. Acts 9.31, the Bible says, And the churches throughout Judea and all of Galilee and Samaria, they enjoyed peace and they begin to build up and they begin to grow in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it continued to increase. Churches began to be growing in the fear of the Lord, comfort of the Holy Spirit, and increase. This is my heart for you as a church that we would walk in the fear of the Lord. Covenant relationships will be restored. That's the second mark 
of a New Testament modified relationship. Uh, it will be a covenant relationship. A revival will bring relationship. Relationship with God, but not only relationship with God, God will also bring a relationship with man. And this is what happened in the book of Acts in chapter 2. When a relationship with man came about, we see in Acts in chapter 2 and verse 40, we see that the church of the living God was birthed there in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 40, And with many words he warned them and kept urging them, saying, Save yourself from this twisted generation, so that those who received this message were immersed. And that day about 3,000 souls were added. The Bible says those that received the message were baptized. Actually, the Greek word is immersed. And I'm reading from the uh, from the Hebrew Greek Bible, and it says like this, and those that heard the message were immersed, and that they, about 3,000 souls were added. So what really happened when the covenant relationship with man began to be built? The church was built. There was a commitment to a local church. So many people are not committed to local church. They just say, I'm committed to God. You cannot be committed to God without being committed in obedience to His Word. And His Word says, I will build my ecclesia. I will build the local church. So what did God do in revival? He not only brought about a revival in a relationship with God, He also brought about a a revival in a relationship with man. And one of the first things, signs of relationship with man being revived in this portion of scripture in Acts 2 was that the church was birthed and people began to gather together. What happened when they gathered together? The Bible says they did life together. They began to, verse 42, they began to do four things together. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, which means they said, hey, you know, if this revival we will be constantly going and listening to the teachings of the apostles. When our heart is in revival, there's a hunger for God's word. There's a passion for God's word. Are you longing for the apostles' teachings? Are you longing for teaching when your pastor teaches you, when the apostles teach you? Is there a longing for that kind of word in your heart? Or are you saying, you know what, you know, let me just live my life somehow and let me just go ahead with whatever I can. I want to challenge you today. Respond to the apostles' teaching. Respond, even as I teach you as a pastor of your church, respond to that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship. They begin to fellowship with one another. and they, they, they begin to meet up with one another. One of the things with revival will make you want to long to do life with others in the church. No, God's not calling you and me to do life alone. God does not want you to be depressed. God does not want you to be lonely. God does not want you to be poor and broken. God wants you to be in fellowship. People of God, if the revival, bonified New Testament revival, we will be in fellowship with one another. One of the reasons you're here today on this telecast is because you are having a heart for the apostles' teachings and you're also longing for revival. Hallelujah. So stay in fellowship. You know, even as you're listening to God's word today, stay in fellowship, meet up with families of God that love God with all their heart and walk. You walk with the ones that love God. You will love God like them. Then they begin to break bread. They had communion. Maybe, you know, if some of you are gathered together, you can, you know, fellowship together and you can love God and you can break bread and you can trust God and you can be in that place of communion like the New Testament church was in the book of Acts. They gathered house to house. And they broke bread and they prayed and they had communion and they had fellowship. There was a breaking of bread and there was a devotion to prayer. 
Church of God, I want you to know if there's a revival, a bona fide New Testament revival, there will be a devotion to prayer. We will gather. I'm so glad so many of you are gathering online for prayer. Oh, my, my dear intercessors, my dear church people that are gathering. I want more of you to gather on for prayer. Let's come together. Let's pray. Let's pray. And I believe God will hear from heaven. God will change the situation, not only in our land, but also in the nations of the world. Because prayer is powerful. They devoted themselves to apostles' teachings and to breaking of bread and to fellowship and to prayer. Hey, if there's revival in your heart, devote yourself to these things. And I believe God will do a mighty thing. When there is a covenant relationship with man, there's also a commitment to this common lifestyle where where they begin to share. The Bible says in Acts 2.43, fear lay upon every soul and many words and signs were happening through the apostles. And all who heard believed and they had everything in common. They began selling their property and possessions and sharing with one another as people had need. What does that mean? It means they begin to sell their property and they begin to genuinely share with the needs of people. People of God, I want you to know a bonafide New Testament revival will have a willing heart that is so willing to share with the people that are need within the house of God. The Bible says generosity begins within the house of God, for which you need to be part of the house of God. You need to be part of the church of the living God. And then the Bible says, give to the, the Gentiles and the strangers and the, and give compassionately to people in need and give to people that lack and, and all of that. So there are two kinds of giving. One is to the house and one is outside the house. And uh, uh, the, the Bible says every believer will genuinely be concerned for the needs of the house. So if you're listening to me today, this is your great opportunity even to give to the needs of the house. Uh, and so uh, you could, that is why it's so important to give to the Lord's work. And uh, even today, if you're listening to this message and you have on your heart to, to give to the Lord's work, uh, you know, ask the church that you're, that you're part of how you can give and make a way, find your way to give to that church so that they can be blessed. They can, and if you're part of this church, if you're a member of this church, give liberally to the Lord's work because that's a mark of genuine New Testament revival. The, it, the Bible, in fact, calls it the book of Corinthians. The Bible calls it the labor of love. They daily broke bread. They daily, you know, were living together, serving, talking, praising God, sharing their meals gladly together. And every day the Lord was adding to their number those that were being saved. And then they were awaiting for the return of the king. Hallelujah. How exciting is that? They were living their life waiting for the return of the king. Every day, the Bible says, you know, the apostles were saying, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. And I want you to know, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Paul was saying, I fought the good fight, run the race, kept the faith. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness. Not only for me, everyone that's awaiting his coming. You know, we need to await his coming. Uh, you know, the Bible says, uh, Peter says, he says that we shouldn't be unaware about his coming uh, in Second Peter. It, it talks about his return and it talks about his... Uh, you know, in, in the book of Peter, it says how Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. We need to be aware. We need to be awaiting. But you know, when Jesus, the Bible says, for who is he going to come like a thief in the night? For those who are not awaiting for his coming, he's going to be there as a thief in the night. But for those who are going to await his coming, he's going to come and we're going to ride there expecting his coming. The church is not going to be surprised at the second coming of Jesus. Hallelujah. You and I are going to be so excited about his second coming. And we're going to be ready for that. Finally, the third and final mark of a genuine New Testament revival is that there will be a life that is lived for the Great Commission. 
The Bible says in Acts 20 verse 24, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to me, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, this one life I have, I want to be part of this great commission. Church, genuine New Testament revival. If you are genuinely revived, born again, part of the church, oh, you will be saying that this one life, I don't count it dear to me, except for that I, so that I might finish the, my ministry and I might preach this gospel of the grace of God. Hallelujah. What an exciting life that will be. Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, every day the Lord was adding to the number of those who are being saved. So, if you are genuinely in a revival, if our church is in a revival, we would have the people doing these four things. They would be part of the Great Commission. The four things which are great part of the Great Commission. The first thing that is part of the Great Commission, they would be preaching and teaching God's word. Acts 2.47 says that they were praising God, having favor with people, and every day they were added to the church. People were going out and telling others, have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? Jesus saves. Do you know Jesus saves? Church, do you know Jesus saves? Oh, what a wonderful, exciting life they had. They were telling their friends. They were telling their family. They were telling the lost. And I think that's a mark of a New Testament revival. We see in Acts chapter 19 and verse 8, we see the Ephesian revival in Acts 19. It says, Paul went into the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, debating and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Oh, what an amazing point. He is now boldly going there and debating, persuading. Oh, we should use all our heart to persuade people, to let them know about the kingdom of God. That's genuine, bona fide, New Testament revival, telling people, don't be afraid to be bold about the gospel. This is one shot at life. Let us tell everybody that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There was a boldness in preaching and teaching. The Bible says in Acts 19 and verse 9, And when they were hardening their heart to refuse the gospel, speaking evil about the way, and the whole group, Paul withdrew from them, taking the disciples with him, and debating daily in the hall of Tyrannius. This continued for two years, so that all the people in Asia heard the word of the Lord, and the Jewish as well as the Greek people. Hallelujah. What an amazing Asia Minor, Turkey, entire region. Because Paul continually preached the gospel. Sign of a bonafide New Testament revival is that they'll be preaching the gospel. Another sign, Acts 19 verse 11, the Ephesian revival. Look at that portion of scripture, Ephesian revival. Paul, Bible says in verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles at Paul's hand. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin were brought to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Oh, hallelujah. Miracles will happen. I want you to go and as a bonafide New Testament revived Christian, the Bible says, commands you, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Your job is to lay hands. God's job is to heal. Do you heal? No, you don't heal. Who heals? God heals. So are, are you a faith healer? No, you're not a faith healer. You're a child of God. Who lays hands on the sick. Uh, who's supposed to heal? God's supposed to heal. That's his job. Leave that job to him. Hallelujah. Your job is to walk in faith. And his job is to heal. And God will heal at your hands. Hallelujah. Miracle signs and wonders will happen at your hand. Uh, besides that, deliverance would happen. Part of this great commission. Preach and teach. Miracles happen. And then in verse 12, Acts 19, 2 says, So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin 
were brought to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Hallelujah. You know the anointing is transferable. If it touches your skin and that handkerchief that's carried can be laid on somebody and miracle healing deliverance can happen because of the anointing that's transferred from you onto those things and it can be carried. This is what happened in Acts 19. Water, bonified, New Testament revival. There was mighty deliverance. Demons were being cast out. A demon possessed woman looked at Acts, uh, uh, Paul in the book of Acts and he said, this is the servant of the Most High God. Deliverance happened. Demons left them. And this will happen again in our time. There's going to be New Testament revival. Hallelujah. Finally, the, it, when there was a great commission that's followed, the fourth mark of the great commission, that everywhere the disciples went, they went and planted churches. And people of God, I want you to know, that's part of this great commission. Matthew 16 Verse 18 says, Jesus says, Peter, you are a rock and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. God wants to build his church. God wants to equip the saints. God wants to, you know, get you ready to be a church planter. If you are a bonified, revived disciple of Jesus in relationship with God, truly repented and saved out there, in relationship with people, part of the church, living that life, then you will go out and be part of the Great Commission. Acts 14.23 says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord of God, to, to the Lord in whom they had believed. Hallelujah. The, the apostles are going and appointing elders in every church. That the churches were being planted by the disciples and apostles were going and keeping pastors in those places. They trained the pastors, put them there. Disciples planted churches. Apostles trained pastors and put them there. Hallelujah. Hey, listen to me again. Disciples planted churches. Apostles went, trained pastors and put them there. You have a great role in this great commission. Let me close with the scripture, Acts 16.5. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in numbers daily. Hallelujah. And this is my prayer for you and me. We are living in times of genuine New Testament revival. Church, World Impact Church, I want you to know, as you listen to me today, I am charging you to come to these three great signs of a bonafide New Testament revival. The first sign, there will be genuine salvation. Repentance. There will be turning away from sin. Christ will be Savior and He'll be your Lord. And, and he will conf- there will be confession and all of that. Secondly, there will be genuine covenant relationships with God and covenant relationship with man. When it's a relationship with God, you'll know your own identity as a son and you will know all how you live in the fear of God and how you've got to walk in that covenant. But if you are in a genuine relationship with man, you'll be part of the church. You will be breaking bread together. You'll be listening to apostles' teachings. You'll be in prayer together. You'll be in fellowship together. Don't miss any of that. If there's a genuine relationship. And then thirdly, If there's a genuine New Testament revival, you will go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. You and I will be church planting believers. The disciples planted church everywhere they went. And the apostles went there, trained pastors and put them in place. And it's my prayer for you right now in Jesus' mighty name. I just pray for you in the mighty name of Jesus. That there will be a genuine New Testament revival breaking forth in your heart. And also in our church and every church that's tuning in today. I want to pray a blessing on you. Every pastor leader that's listening to me today. I want to pray a blessing on you. That there will be a breaking forth of a genuine New Testament revival. That our churches would not be just New Testament clubs. But it will be genuine New Testament churches. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the life of God. 
and fulfilled with the commission, the great commission of God. God bless you. Have a wonderful week ahead. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wicc.in.